So the Apostle Paul wrote this from a Roman prison. It's not a metaphor. I mean, literally, he was in a dark, ancient Roman prison as he wrote this. And uh, he reminds us of that really right at the beginning of chapter 4 and verse 1 um, to sort of set the tone even in a sense for what he's about to say. As he writes, he's not in an ivory tower. Um, he is someone who knows what it means to suffer for Christ. Uh, and he often shares about that uh, as, he, as he goes through his letters. He knows what it is to endure challenges. He knows what it is to endure uncertainty. Uh, again, even as he sits in an ancient prison. And yet for his, his love for the church... And his, his passion for the gospel mission, it leads him to write these words of instruction. Ephesians is one of my favorite books of the Bible. All of us have read it, um, I assume. Uh, just a wonderful book. And we're just going to look at one small portion of it tonight. Uh, in his love for the church, as he gives this instruction, he's basically saying, for everything that you do for, as a church, whatever you do as the people of God collective, keep this in mind. Uh, he's teaching them how to conduct themselves as Christ followers as they live life together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a local church. So let's read just those first three verses. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As we look at verse 1 here, and I'm just basically going to walk through these three verses, and then we're going to, there's a few things where the whole chapter is kind of coming back that I'll reference a couple times, but primarily just those, those first three verses, just a very small passage for us tonight. And he begins with this really broad orientation. He's painting this picture for us. This is how we should orient our lives together as brothers and sisters in Christ. He's giving this to us here in, this, in the very beginning, and then he's going to kind of unpack some of the details of it. It's sort of like a coach before a game. Look, this is what you need to be thinking about when you go out there. He's giving them the prep talk, um, the pep talk, um, and then sending them out there. This is what you need to be thinking about. Uh, it's like the, the military officer that's going to send you out before a battle. This is, this is where your head needs to be. Get your head ready. Um, this is how you should be thinking as you go out uh, in this important moment, this momentous event. And Paul is saying that this is how you should carry yourself as a Christian. This is how you should be oriented as you go out to do the Lord's work, as you are the church. Uh, this is what you should be prepared for, Paul says. And so what does he say? He urges believers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's not talking to pastors. We often we speak about call, usually in Baptist circles, especially only about pastors. Well, pastors are called, maybe deacons are called, or missionaries. This is not speaking to, to those categories, they would be included in this, but he's speaking to Christians. What, what does it mean? I mean, is, is it, what, what does it mean to be part of this calling? Well, whatever you do, Paul is saying, keep this in mind, that you were bought at a cost. You were bought at a high price, the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the calling that you have, to be a Christ follower, to, to live and exist in that reality. He's saying that your salvation is anything but cheap, so as a Christian, let all of your life, let all of your conduct and your thoughts and your actions, your speech, let all of it be consistent with what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. I had a church member one time who, um, she worked in a very secular environment. She was the only Christian, so far as she could tell, I guess in a sense, 
um, you know, the, the others, certainly their conduct did not seem to be Christianly. And so she was struggling to live a Christian life within this very carnal environment and yet wanting to be a witness and yet often knowing not what to say and how to handle herself. And so was engaging a little bit and trying to give some advice because very often the people at her workplace would say, well, um, well, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, why can't you do that? I can do this. I can go out and party with my friends. I can live this certain way. I can kind of do all these things. I'm, I'm a Christian. Does the Bible say you can't do this? The Bible doesn't say you can't do that. Why can't you? In other words, sort of finding any way to say, does the Bible condemn this? If not, then I can sort of live my life in this way and pursue these passions of the flesh if the Bible does not mention this explicitly. And so my advice was, was, was to, to lead her to something like this. Whatever you do, live your life in a manner worthy of the calling that is given to you, the calling to be a Christian. And so it covers all those other things, things that we, that whether it's by culture, by time, or honestly, just because we haven't looked through the Bible to see that addresses a lot more things specifically than we would recognize. But whatever you do, let your life be lived in a manner worthy of the calling to be a Christian. That your, that your thoughts would not betray your calling, that your actions would not deny the faith that you claim with your mouth, that your actions would be lived in a worthy manner. And so it really touches on every area of life, which is why I said it's such a broad orientation, how we should be living. It addresses all of the things that we would encounter in life, knowing that there are specific things as well. And so we're gonna get into some of those. As we look at verse two, uh, if verse 1 is sort of the big picture, verse 2 talks about the character or the, the spirit that should characterize our lives as Christians. Um, these, are, these are sort of the fundamentals of Christian character. None of these things are new to you. They're not novel. You know them. Humility, gentleness, patience. I mean, we could, we could go through, right, walk through it with all humility, gentleness, and patience. These, these very standard, common things, and yet we hear them so often, sometimes we need to go back to the basics and hear them from God's word afresh and anew. I mean, if ever we need an illustration of what it looked like practically, okay, preacher, I get the idea, humility, patience again, but what does it actually look like if ever we need an illustration, we go straight to the life of Jesus. He lived these things so perfectly. No matter what he faced, he was without sin. And so we can see his example set before us as a perfect, a flawless example. And that's the importance of going and reading the gospel and watching how Jesus conducted himself. Even when he faced challenges, even when he faced difficulty, even when he faced his own physical challenge of, of hunger and the temptation of the adversary and all these different things. Perfect self-control. As we, as we demonstrate uh, humility and gentleness and, and patience. Um, he gives a more direct application here at the end of the verse two, bearing with one another in love. Now, sometimes we forget that, um, you know, the early church, we can sort of lionize them to a point um, that we forget that they were human, like really flawed, just, just the same way that we are. Um, the, uh, the text that I'm preaching from on Sunday speaks uh, you know, about the fact that we are all um, ultimately flawed human beings. And uh, just as we continue on our study in the Sermon on the Mount, he touches on it very briefly there. But because of that, you know, they, we, we recognize, we, we need to remember that they had struggles. They had challenges. Um, they had uh, conflict. They, they went through all kinds of things, the, the things that are just common to humanity. 
The things that are common to when you get human beings together, whether it's two or 20 or 200 or 2,000, these things are inevitable. So Paul knows that there will be times of disagreement or misunderstanding, and he says, in those times, bear with one another in love. That word love, I mean, so much that we have to think about even now. What does that mean? It's a really big word. It's a Christian word. Again, what does love mean? Well, we can look at Christ. We know that God is love. He is the essence of love. So what does it mean? It's to be godly, to be like God, to follow his example. We, we must do this as a church. As individual believers, and then as a church. Remember, Ephesians written to the church. The church in Ephesus. We need to uh, remember that we need God's help in this because we're flawed human beings. We need to pray, God, help me to show humility. God, help me to demonstrate patience, especially in those moments when I need it the most. God, help me um, to endure, um, God, when it's, when it's difficult and when, it's, um, when things are challenging, when it's tempting to walk away, which is, uh, again, the, the importance of prayer here. It's, just, it's kind of in the background. It's assumed, especially once we get to verse 3, but we must go to the Lord and ask him to enable us, to help us through the Holy Spirit to live this way. Now, as we look at verse two, sort of the opposite is also shown. If you kind of glance to the other side, the last few verses of the chapter. The opposite of verse two is verse 31, which says, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So sort of verse two, positive side, verse 31, the negative side here. As, as much as we work to maintain humility and peace, we must also work against then bitterness, slander. Malice is an old word. I don't think we use that word a lot today. Basically, it means like ill will, ill intent. You would hope that evil would be done. Um, so we would have to work against these things. He warns in verse 27, and this is ultimately showing us what's behind the scene here when we recognize that, that the devil is at work. He says, don't give, in verse 27, don't give any opportunity to the devil. You, you mean to say, Pastor, the devil can like really impact our lives? You better believe it. Could the devil really impact a local church? You better believe it. Anything that is of God, anything that's going to accomplish God's purposes, the devil's going to oppose it. And the more that God is at work, the more the devil is going to seek to destroy. You realize that's his whole MO. I mean, that's what he does. He came to steal, to, he came to, uh, I'm drawing a blank here, to kill, steal, and destroy. I don't know why, for some reason it's not connecting in my head here. He came to disrupt, he is called the slanderer. I mean, his, really his name, oftentimes you'll see with a capital A, the adversary, the one who is against the things of God. Steal, kill, and destroy. There we go. Did I get it right? There we go. That's, that's what he does. And again, we can take that really personally. Like, why, God? You know, he, he was doing the same thing to God before he did it to us. Just, just read the, the account in Genesis. The first, um, the first account of sort of an attack uh, against, um, against God's work is, is there against God himself and slandering the work of God to Adam and Eve. A lot that we could explore there in the book of Genesis. By the way, I, I was really tempted to maybe do Genesis for our next study, you think, oh, we can go from Revelation and go to Genesis. Maybe next time we'll go to Nehemiah, though, but there's a lot of good stuff in Genesis that we might get to. Might be I do it on a Sunday morning sometime. We'll see. A lot of good stuff in Genesis. 
And so we have to be prayerful about this, recognizing that we do not stand against flesh and blood. As Paul says, if you just flip over here to, you know, to the latter part of Ephesians, um, but, but rather with principalities, the powers of the air, we have to remember that. We, we live in an age where you know, we, we're so biased to where if we can't see it, taste it, smell it, touch it, then we assume it's not real. But they, we have to know from the word of God that these things are very real and they are subtle. The adversary almost never comes at you full force. It comes subtly, subtly into your heart, subtly into your life, subtly into your habits. And we have to be serious about sanctification. Now, we know sanctification is something that God does, and yet there's also a sense in which we are working to it. So in salvation, in terms of justification, where you're justified before God, it is always in the sense of God justifying us. There's a sense of it comes one way from God to us. But sanctification is something that is worked out together. Sometimes sanctification is spoken of as something that, that God does, and then other times it's spoken of things that we are actively doing. But really, there is this work together. Ultimately, it is all of grace, and yet sanctification is something we actively pursue. Sanctification is a big word for being holy, seeking to be more like Christ. Verse three, having spread out this big picture in verses one and then kind of breaking down a few parts in verse two, he's gonna really drive home um, that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Verse three, notice that capital S there, by the way. The spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. You know, unity is not something that happens automatically. doesn't matter if it's a church. doesn't matter if it's a company. doesn't matter if it's a family. Unity is not something that just automatically happens if we have proximity to one another. Unity is something that has to be pursued. It's a conscious effort, which is why he speaks of eagerness. Be eager to maintain the unity of the bond of the Spirit. Be eager. Pursue it. Unity has to be cultivated. It has to be maintained. Just because you reach unity at one moment doesn't mean, okay, now we're good. We can sort of just coast now. No, no, no. It takes these other things that we just saw in verse two. It takes understanding the big picture of what we saw in verse one, and it is something that has to be pursued. It takes gentleness. It takes patience. It takes bearing with one another in love. What about the basis of our unity? What is the, what is the source of our unity? Well, it's, it's not a shared background, that can be helpful. It's, it's easier to unify people that have a lot of things in common in just their, their external, right, and in their culture that helps. That's why it was so difficult. You look at some of the New Testament churches and they were not monolithic. They were a whole bunch of hodgepodge of different people from backgrounds. And in a sense, that, that makes, it, makes it harder. It's not our shared background, though. It's not years of association. It's not that, oh, if, as long as you know one another long enough, then, then you'll have unity. No, no, not necessarily. Families might know each other for a very, very long time and have a falling out that is final and permanent. So time together doesn't guarantee it either. It can help. It could also hurt. You know one another's faults. Um, those that know your faults are those that know you best. So it's not merely these things. What is it? The source of our unity is right here, capital S, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity. If we have all been reconciled to God by the work of Jesus Christ, sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is the basis of our fellowship. That is the basis of our unity. It can't be just simply that we have 
hobbies in mind or that we happen to live on the same road or that whatever it is. But rather, it is a unity that is based in our shared salvation, in our shared service to our king, in our shared love for one another because each of us have been reconciled in God. And so I can look to my brother or sister and say, Christ died for you. He died for me too. We're in this together. We're family now. And so it's a beautiful thing. It can be a messy thing. We're human. We fall short. There's misunderstandings. There's challenging. the challenges. There's, there's sin. It happens. And yet this is something that, that Paul is going to admonish the Ephesians to pursue this, maintain the bond of peace in the Holy Spirit through love, through gentleness, through patience, through humility, recognizing that everything that we do must be geared in this calling. In our flesh, we're, we're more apt to pursue things that kind of meet our expectations or, or things that um, seem to be uh, ultimately helpful and beneficial to me. And yet that is not what this is. Humility, considering others first. Patience, enduring when things are difficult. It's always easier to, to leave, to run away. And yet God says, no, lean in. Bear with one another in love. You can't choose your, your biological family. In a sense, you can't choose your spiritual family either. I mean, if, if, if you are a Christian, no matter what country you live in, no matter what color your skin, no matter your age, no matter what it is, you are a member of the family of God. And then there is a providential way in which God brings people together in a particular area. Now, it's not to say that a person can't go to another church and everything. There's a sense in which we share fellowship as churches within a particular region. There's something sweet about that. And yet, in the New Testament, the local church is the driving force. Something like 95% of the times that the word church is used in the New Testament is referring to a particular local church. Because it is there that, uh, I mean, the word that's often used among Southern Baptists is that's where our headquarters is. It's not in Nashville. It's not in Cary. Our headquarters is right here. This is where God is at work. This is the bride of Christ. And we happen to belong to this particular unit of the bride of Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Sometimes it's a challenging thing. But um, it's something that God has designed and that we embrace and that we pursue together in, in his grace, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and with his blessing. I'm doing things a little bit different tonight. By all means, uh, someone might have a, something to say, but I really just wanted to, to share this uh, from my heart tonight. Um, if anyone has anything they'd like to share or questions about that, I'd be glad. Um, if not, I'll close us in prayer. Bob? Yes. But the note is, and I quote, the key to understanding this and other statements about love is to know that this love, that is the Greek word agape, is not so much a matter of emotions as it is of doing things for yeah. the benefit of another person. Yeah. That is having an unselfish concern for another. Well, wait, Bob, it's good. Feel free to summarize it in your own words if you'd like, Bob. It's really good. 
That's what happened to me on Sunday, if y'all were here Sunday. <laughs> Technology is great when it works. It skipped the chapter. All right, I will. Got it? Go ahead, brother. really good yeah amen that doesn't come naturally to us does it i mean even in marriage you might really love your spouse and yet is it always easy no well except for for me sorry sorry it's not you might love your kids like crazy or or back here leon was telling me about how much better grandkids are said hey i love my kids but right right brother and uh you might love your kids like like crazy and yet, sometimes it's difficult, right? And y'all will have to, again, when I get to the grandkids stage, then, then I'll get to enjoy that too. And yet, um, as brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, God calls us to do this. And he, and he will supply. Again, we can say, how, how do I do this? Goodness, I, man, this is not easy. God will supply. Pray, trust in him, strive after it, and he will supply what we need. It's true, again, you know, even I you know, was counseling someone just this week, um, they're, they're parents and, you know, asking for some advice on some things. You know, how, how am I going to figure this out? How does this work? Seek to be faithful. Go at it. God will give you what you need in that season. And, uh, and there's a sort of a faith that we're able to step into that, right? How much more in our family uh, as we are a family in Christ? Any, anybody else that would like to share something? I can close in prayer tonight. Everybody hear that? You see this key importance of humility, and I, and I hope maybe the video is able to pick up some of that, um, but absolutely. And I think even the order matters, right? Yeah, I mean, humility is put in there first. Any, anybody else? That's really good. And it's interesting, even as you look at that, if you look at love last, you look at humility, gentleness, patience. I mean, humility is really hard to fake, isn't it? I mean, you can't hardly go through the motions with humility. I mean, with gentleness, you, you almost, yeah, may, maybe you could, you could find a way to kind of, at least externally, to have that. With patience, you know, that, depending on the person, that is harder or, 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 or less difficult. But humility is a really hard one to, to fake because, again, it is so... I mean, on one hand, you know, you know, you're being really transparent, brother, and sharing about that, the difficulty of that, but I think for all of us, I mean, again, there's, because of our sin nature, um, of course, the evolutionists would tell us, oh, it's because, you know, ultimately, we are all striving, you know, uh, survival of the fittest, right, and so that's why we have these instincts. No, it's from sin. 
I mean, it's just blatant and easy to see, even from the youngest child. You know, we all are looking out for ourselves. Every parent knows it, right? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. 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 I mean, it, it's just such a, it's such a simple thing. And by sin, it's not even, and that's even a good clarification. We're joking about it. But it's not even sin like an active sin, an act, but rather just the nature. You know, like that shopping cart when you go into the store and it's got the broken wheel and it keeps wanting to go to the side. That's like our sin nature. I mean, the wheel's there, and on you go, okay, I've got a cart here, and then you start, ah, oh, man, why did I have to get this one? You look back, and you're like, ah, I'm just going to go with it, you know? And it's, you're still able to push it. It's not like you have no control. I mean, you can get it, but it's constantly, you're like, ah, you know, and you're having to go. That's basically like sin nature. It's just constantly going to gear you toward, oh, yep, shortcoming, failure, and um, God gets us a new wheel. Now, that, that new wheel, ultimately, you know, again, the analogy starts breaking down. We ultimately only get the, the real shiny new wheels when ultimately Christ returns. And yet there is grace, and there's a way we walk through this, not perfectly. That's the thing we all have to recognize. It's never going to be done perfectly. And yet we can still look back and see, wow, God has brought me this far. Um, God has really changed things in my heart, in, in my heart. And, and, I get, and you can witness it in others, too. Uh, it's an incredible thing, and that's why the testimony is so powerful. To see, so for, so going back to that work environment I was describing with this member, and this was at a different church, it wasn't here, um, so y'all are safe, don't worry. And um, the, you know, basically, you know, if someone within that environment were, were all of a sudden to get saved and their lifestyle radically alters, that makes everyone else in the room go, whoa, 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 what is going on? And then there's that opportunity to witness. Something has changed in my life, something has changed in me. And, and that's when there's really a powerful opportunity uh, to, to share in a really compelling way what God has done in our lives. People that maybe know you from back in the old days before you were saved. Leon, I love your testimony, brother. Leon shared it with me many times. Um, people who would have known you before, you know, think about, I don't even recognize this guy now. It's an incredible thing. It really is. Anybody else as we, as we think about these, these few verses here? We'll close, close in prayer then. All right, let's pray together. Our God, I thank you for your word and the way that it teaches us. God, we, without your word, we would be just stumbling around in the dark. We would not know what is up and down. We would not know what is good. And yet you, so in your grace, you revealed yourself to us. In your love, you've shown us the way to live lives of wholeness and how we can be together and God, yet we, we need your grace every day. Each of us do. None of us are perfect. God, we need, your, um, we need your, your love for each of us so that then we can love one another. Show us how to be humble and gentle and patient. God, help us to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. Oh God, I pray that we would do everything in a way, that, that every, every decision we would make, every word that we would say, everything that we would do, God, that we would, would, would think about what Paul says here in verse one, that we would live in a way that is worthy of this great calling as Christians. God, I pray your blessing over these brothers and sisters here and for Starnes Cove, um, every, every nook and cranny within this church, God, all the different areas of ministry, every individual, every member, those here, those not here, God, our visitors, and God, all the different um, people within our orbit, God, we pray, God, that your hand would be over them. We pray for your grace, for your guidance, and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great night.